Good morning, and I encourage you to turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Someday my hope is that I'm going to be, li- to be able to live up to uh, Mark's uh, colorful and wonderful introduction of me. <laughs> so, uh, I want to begin here. The tomb of the unknown soldier stands on the top of a hill that overlooks Washington, D.C. The United States Congress first approved the burial of an unidentified World War I soldier at that location in 1921. The tomb of the unknown soldier is guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, in any and all weather by the tomb guard. And it is a great honor to serve in that guard. The inscription on the back of the tomb monument reads this. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. What I want to observe from the tomb of the unknown soldier is this. Unknown does not mean unimportant. Though this soldier's name is unknown to us, his name is known to God, and he made a significant contribution. Unknown does not mean unimportant or insignificant. As Mark has already said this morning, we have had a rich feast of characters who are heroes of faith, and it is healthy and right for us to know about those who have gone before us, as well as to emulate their virtues in our own lives. However, I have had a twinge of concern about how we interpret and apply the chapel series in our own Christian lives. My concern is simply this. We live in a celebrity culture, and the danger is to falsely assume that we need to be a celebrity Christian to be important in the kingdom of God. Now, by celebrity, I simply mean a culture of celebrity is we have become cult-like in our followership of famous people. Celebrities such as actors, royalty, athletes, or musicians. And those of us who are everyday and ordinary people feverishly follow celebrities. What they wear, where they go, what they do, who they think is cool, what they think is cool. And I think there are at least two problems in a celebrity culture. One of those is that ordinary everyday people feel relegated to be spectators of celebrities who they assume are living real lives. Number two, we try to grasp a second-hand experience, a vicarious experience of real life through someone who is famous. And my concern is that we take the same approach to characters that we have studied and learned about through this year. Some of us feel that it is impossible for us to be important in the kingdom because we are ordinary at best. The danger is that we can come to believe that the real Christian life will always evade us. The real Christian experience is the life that is only possible for the celebrity Christian, the gifted Christian, the important Christian. But the real Christian life cannot be for everyday, ordinary 
me. At best, I am relegated to being a spectator and vicariously live my life through a celebrity, perhaps even one of the characters that we have studied this year. Before the earth hardened, I went to Peace River Bible Institute in northern Alberta as a student. At PRBI, there was a student singing group that was composed of the best singers that we had at the school. They traveled to represent the college. I falsely concluded that I needed to be a singer to be significant. And so I took singing lessons. And if you have ever stood beside me during music at chapel, which you couldn't have this year, but in other years, you know how well that did not go. Well, if I couldn't sing, maybe I could preach. In my final year, I was required to preach a 12-minute message to my classmates. There were probably mm, maybe 10 in the class. Even though I had prepared diligently, my sermon, every word was written out. I literally started the sermon three times before I ever got done. My conclusion, I perceived that there was no place for me in the kingdom. I was both unknown and insignificant. Perhaps you look around at your classmates. You see how talented they are, how popular they are, how gifted they are. You notice that what is seemingly impossible for you, they do with ease. You think that they will be significant in the kingdom. But that will never be the case for you because you are every day ordinary. Our celebrity culture has falsely convinced us that everyday ordinary is not sufficient or adequate. And this morning, I want to champion the unknown Christian in our chapel series. And so if today you are that person who feels ordinary, commonplace, average, run-of-the-mill, I specifically am speaking to you this morning. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author takes us for a tour down the hall of faith. The author begins by showing us the celebrities of faith who did mighty deeds for God. Noah built an ark. Abraham offered Isaac. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so on. We're walking down the hallway of heroes, checking their plaques on the wall. And I want to pick up the chapter in verse 32. Here the author says this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury, the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses was, were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead and raised to life again. Wow. 
You talk about celebrity status, saints who did great things for God. If they lived in 2021, they would have a huge followership on Instagram or Twitter. But the author of Hebrews does not stop with the celebrity saints. And in fact, he doesn't even catch a breath as he startles us by what he's going to say next. Let's pick it up. There were others. Who were tortured, refused, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went, out of, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. What a contrast. Wow. These people did not have their name in lights. They are not people who got honored with a plaque on the, on the wall. They were anything but celebrity, and the author simply refers to them as others. They are the unknown saint soldiers who na whose names are known but to God. Now, we must not, we should not at least, miss the important commentary of the author about these folks. He says in verse 39, they were all commended for their faith. The unknown saints were commended in the same way as those who had celebrity status. They too are heroes of faith, even though their names are known but to God. Because that's exactly the point. God knows their names. Celebrity with others is not the equation that counts in the kingdom. Unknown does not mean unimportant to God. Not only were they unknown, but they, did, they didn't do great things. At least they certainly didn't do great things by our evaluation. Their deeds of faith were that they were tortured. They faced jeers and flogging. They had chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were killed by the sword. Their deeds did not make headlines. But in God's evaluation, their faith was evidenced by their deeds. The quality of their faith was exactly the same as the celebrities. To do great things in the kingdom means that we are faithful to God's calling in our life, whatever that assignment will be. You do not have to do great things as evaluated by our culture to do great things in the kingdom. Well, not only were they all commended for their faith, the author says the world was not worthy of them. As far as the world was concerned, these were Christians. These Christians were not worthy of a place. They were destitute, persecuted, mistreated, wandered in the deserts, living in caves and holes in the ground. 
They were considered homeless and worthless in their culture. But God's evaluation astounds us. For those saints who the world thought were not worthy, the reality is that the world is not worthy of these saints. This morning, as Mark has already said, I want to introduce you to a prairie grad who I believe is one of these unknown, ordinary, everyday Christians that I'm championing today. A saint commanded for his faith and of whom the world is not worthy. Hector McMillan grew up in a farm in Ontario. He had six siblings. Their mother died when Hector was only five years old. He loved fishing. He loved roller skating. But mostly, he loved taking things apart and putting them back together. Hector was 21 years old when he registered at Prairie. After he registered at Prairie, he became a Christian. He gra- that's right. That's right. He graduated in 1940. Later, he served in the military. In 1945, he married Ione Reed, and together they went to the Congo with the Unevangelized Fields Mission. In the Congo, he simply put his farm skills to use. People would say, wait till Hector gets here. He'll fix it. He did maintenance, repair, he built furniture, he rigged running water, power, invented shingles for African houses. Here are a couple of pictures of Hector doing what Hector did. Here he is as a dentist pulling teeth. Here he is fixing a generator on the mission. And here he is using a table saw, interestingly rigged up powered by a car's back wheels. When Hector was not fixing things, he trekked everywhere in the Congo, preaching the gospel and singing with his wife, Ione. Together with Ione, they had six children, all of them boys. Now I want to describe the context of the Congo in which they served. In 1960, Belgium gave Congo its independence. But most Congolese opposed the newly installed government, believing that it was supported by the West. Civil war ensued, and by 1964, the country was an East-West Cold War battlefield. White missionaries were assumed to be agents of Western aggression, and Simba, or Lion, rebels began inhumane brutality against white-skinned people, including the hostages, including taking hostages and killings. 25 missionaries were placed under house arrest for several months and trapped as hostages of the Simbas at the headquarters of the unevangelized field mission, which was eight kilometers north of Stanleyville. The Mimiglin family were among those hostages. I want to quote from Ken McMillan. He was one of the boys, one of the sons of Hector, as he writes about the fateful day of November 24th, 1964. 
I begin, quote, Our McMillan family of eight was having morning devotions at 6 a.m. when planes began circling around Stanleyville. Distant booms of warfare excited the four Zimbas guarding our two houses. In drunken anger, they threatened us all with death and promptly fired seven shots, killing my father Hector and wounding me in the hip. The soldiers ran down the road, leaving us to be rescued and carried to the now-liberated Stanleyville Airport by the mercenary contingent of Cuban Americans. We had to leave my dad's dead body on a bed. End of quote. If you walk down Prairie's Hall of Distinguished Alumni in the Maxwell Center, you will not find Hector McMillan. But if you went to Memorial Hall, on a plaque that names those who have given their life as martyred alumni, there you will find Hector McMillan. Prairie College's history is characterized by saints like Hector. Each year we hold a re-graduation for students who graduated 50 years before. And with only a few exceptions, their testimonies again and again I've heard them. Year after year I hear them. They have lived in humble service to God and to humanity. By their service, Prairie students have had such global influence that James Hudson Taylor III stated they brought, and I quote, great blessing to every continent, end of quote. Only a very few of their names are on plaques as distinguished alumni. Most are ordinary, commonplace, average, run-of-the-mill. They are women and men who are among those commended for their faith and whom of whom this world is simply not worthy. So what? What difference does all of this make to you? Well, I hope you're still in Hebrews, because we're going to look for a few minutes as we conclude to Hebrews chapter 12, because it's actually the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 11. Having walked down the hall of faith, the author now turns to the Hebrew Christians. He talks to those who are not named. He talks to those who we do not know. The everyday ordinary Christians. And by application, the writer speaks to us and answers the question, so what? So what? Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me make a few brief applications in closing from chapter 12. First, let us, 
run with perseverance the race. The author obviously pictures the Christian life as a race. And we are the runners in the race. You and I. The race is not only for the celebrities or for the famous. The race is not only for the super gifted or for the super talented or for the super popular. It is for everyday ordinary Christians like you and me. The race is not a secondhand experience that you live vicariously through someone else. You are not merely a spectator to watch others run the race. You are a participant. It is your turn to take the baton. It is your time. It is your turn. God knows your name and he's calling you. You see, the time is now. It's now. God is calling this generation of students to step up to embrace his mission in the world. It is not adequate. It is not sufficient for us only to admire the people of the past who have done great things for God. It is your time to get off the couch and to participate in the work of the kingdom. If you are on the sidelines, it's time for you to get into the race. And being everyday ordinary is no excuse for not being involved. Let us, let us run the race. In addition, the author says it is the race that is marked out for us. The race we are to run is not the race that we decide, but the race that God has marked out for us. Just as in Hebrews chapter 11, in which God did not give everyone the same assignment, the same is true for you and for me. Some of you will be given assignments that are successful by human standards. Platforms, Power, prestige, positions. But some of you will not be given success by human standards at all. You will be given the everyday and the ordinary. And in the kingdom equation, all of those assignments are important. You see, God has an assignment for you. He has a race that is marked out for you. And it is your job not to look at the assignment of the person next to you. It is your job to be responsible and faithful in the assignment that he has given to you, the race that is marked out for you. In that race, the author says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I think it is just clear that he is talking about those in the grandstand from chapter 11, both the heroes of faith as well as those who are ordinary. And those are our cheerleaders. Some are unknown and tortured. They have finished their race. They have now taken their positions to cheer us on until we fin have hit the finish line. So let us throw off everything that hinders. If you're running a marathon to race, race today, you're not going to go out in work boots. The author isn't talking about sin. 
The author is talking about the legitimate things of our life that are keeping us from doing the assignment that God wants us to do. He's saying even the legitimate things of life, if they're weighing you down in the race, get rid of them. Because God's assignment is important and your commitment to that assignment is critical. And I ask you today, is there something today that you are unwilling to let go of? Not only that, he says, make sure that the sin that so easily entangles you, that you let go of that. This is talking about actual sin, not only the good things that we won't let go of, but the sin that entangles us and keeps us away from God and keeps us away from the assignment that he's given to us. Make sure, ensure, that you let it go, that you give it up in order that you can do the assignment that God has called you to. And lastly, as we conclude, fix your eyes on Jesus. In our race, our eyes are to be resolutely set on the Lord Jesus. Our eyes are not on the cheerleaders. Our eyes are not on the, per the other people who are running the race. Our eyes are resolutely set on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, who sat down on the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Let's pray together. Our gracious and loving Father, for the men and women of Prairie College, I pray that they will rest deeply in the security that comes from the reality that you know their names. And I especially pray this for those who feel unknown and forgotten. I also ask that they will find great significance in the particular assignment, the race that is marked out for them. And I pray this for those who feel everyday ordinary and who have come to believe that you could never use them. Help them to run with endurance the race that you've marked out. Grant them grace to abandon the hindrances and the sin that keeps them from everything you want to accomplish in and through them. And enable them to fix their eyes on the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.